to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. As I mentioned, we are at the beginning of our 2023 Missions Convention. And this year, our theme is Christ Among Us. Christ Among Us. And each year, we have two Sundays as part of our Missions Convention. And I preach one of them. We have a missionary for the other. And I always like to preach about the theme. So Christ Among Us is also the title of what I want to share with you today. Now, I want to, as I often do, ask you a question to get you thinking about what God wants to speak to us about today. So I'm getting ready to ask you a very, very important question, one of the most important questions you can be asked, and it's tied to our theme, it's tied to our missions convention, it's tied to the passage of scripture we're going to be reading today. And it's very much about how this message might apply to your life. Are you ready for the question? The question is this, how do you smell? I was kind of watching to see if anybody would kind of go, I didn't see anybody do that. You might not want to ask your neighbor. You might be sitting there saying, Pastor, I'm good. I had my weekly bath last night. It's hard to believe that that actually used to be the standard. You know, you get a bath once a week and everybody would share the same water and say, did people really do that? Yeah, people really did that. Go back and study. I'm glad that we don't have, I got to get off this sidetrack here. But how do you smell? But I'm not talking about primarily or at all, actually, your physical smell. But I wanted to ask that question in that way so it sticks in your head because I hope that you go all week long, every day, wherever you go, you ask, how do I smell today? How do I smell at school? How do I smell at work? How do I smell at church? How do I smell at home with my family? How do I smell? You say, well, pastor, this is a weird question. Right, that way you're going to remember it. But it really is tied to our theme. It's tied to our passage of scripture. And it's tied to how God wants to apply it to our lives because it is a picture. It is a picture that Paul's going to use here in our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read it in just a moment. But here's how I want you to understand this. If the presence of Jesus Christ in your life was a smell, how do you smell? What do I mean by the presence of Jesus? Your commitment to him and the changes that he's making in your life and how he is influencing you and how he is making you into the man or the woman that God created you to be. If that presence of Jesus in your life was a smell, how do you smell? And not just while you're here at church, because we can do whatever we need to do to smell good at church. And that applies in every area, right? I mean, some of you probably put on your best cologne, your best perfume. You did take your weekly bath or daily bath or whatever it might be so that you would not smell bad when you came to church. But in the same way, it's very easy to smell good spiritually at church, but it's a lot harder as we get out into our week and into the world and where we work and where we go to school and at home because there are things that impact that. But how do you smell? Let's read the passage now in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 to 16, and this is where our annual missions theme, Christ Among Us, comes from. 
Paul says, starting in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 2, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? I meant to mention that unlike usual, I was reading from the NIV today because that's where our theme is taken from today. The background to this is that Paul is using a situation that was very familiar to the people of his day to paint this picture of people, of believers being an aroma, of, of having an aroma that influences the world. And the picture he is painting here is of a Roman triumph. He says, thanks be to God who leads us in this triumph. And very quickly, what that was is in the Roman Empire, they were always seeking to expand the empire, to conquer new territory, to put down rebellions because they wanted to grow and expand and be strong. And they were the strongest empire that may have existed in the entire history of the world. And so they would send out their generals with armies. And when there was the biggest victories... The general who had seen that happen under their leadership and their army would come back to Rome and they would bring back with them um, the plunder from whatever area they conquered and they would bring back captives and there would be this big parade through the streets of Rome and it was called a triumph. And I can't remember the exact order of how things would come, but there'd be this, all the citizens would gather in the streets and they would clear the way just like we would think of a parade and they would send, you know, some people along. They would send along the parade route all these great, uh, uh, artifacts and valuable things that they had collected from the place that they had conquered. They would send the captives in chains. And then would come this general and his soldiers and everybody would be cheering. And as part of that parade, there would be priests. Now, not priests like we think of, but priests to the gods. Their num number one god was Jupiter, okay? And they would have incense burning and it would smell so good. And so you have this phenomenal parade of victory and celebration. All the citizens cheering this general and his troops who had won this great victory. And one of the senses that would just stick with you would be the wonderful smell of this event. And they'd have a great, great celebration. And that's what we want to focus on is this smell. Because that's what Paul's focusing on. He says this smell. What does this smell represent? What does this smell signify? What well, depends on who you are. To the Romans the general, his soldiers, but all the citizens that had gathered, the smell of that incense was wonderful. It was the smell of victory. It was the smell of, hey, we get to celebrate. And I'm sure that that smell of incense was mixed with the smell of good food. You know, and, you know, we all understand the idea of something that smells really good and something that smells terrible. This is a good smell to the Romans. But how do you think this smell, or what do you think this smell what impact did it have on the captives? The people who had been conquered 
perhaps hundreds or farther away and had been brought in chains to Rome and they knew that their destination, if they were lucky, were to be slaves the rest of their life and if they were unlucky, they were going to be put to death. How do you think these smells affected them? They didn't like it. It was a smell of defeat. It was a smell of despair. It was a smell of life is over. Same smell, different impact. And Paul uses this as a picture. He doesn't ask the question that I asked, but it's there. How do you smell? What's the main point of this? Well, there's two, two really main points here. The first one is this. Jesus Christ is triumphant. Boy, that was weak. Jesus Christ has triumphed all over, over all the powers and authorities of sin, hell, death, and the grave on the cross. Amen. Salvation is available to all people who turn to him. All the problems that we have in the world can be solved through what Jesus Christ did. He has triumphed. Those who turn to him are set free from sin and death. But yet, even though the triumph has taken place, there are a lot of people that haven't heard about the victory yet. So that's where we're living right now. Jesus triumphed over everything on the cross almost 2,000 years ago. But since then, his people have been in the process of proclaiming that triumph throughout the world so that people can respond to this. I think of an, an example of very similar to this in our own history here in the United States, that once the Civil War was over, it was done. The slaves were proclaimed to be free. It took a while for all the slaves and slave owners to get that message and to actually see that accomplished in those circumstances. And in the same way, even though Jesus Christ has already triumphed and conquered the enemy, the message is still in the process of being taken out. And that's the picture here. That's the second part. Not only has Jesus Christ triumphed, but his people are going out to take that message. And he compares it to that picture of the, of the parade and the smells that are there, that as his followers go out into their world, or out into the world, wherever God sends them, that their lives become an aroma that other people smell and then need to respond to. So, back to this question of how do you smell? How do followers of Jesus Christ smell? The key thought here is found in verse 14 where it says that God uses us God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's why it's all about missions. God is using his people to spread the aroma of Jesus Christ everywhere they go. So again, how do you smell? Before we jump into the idea of how we smell to people around us, there is another point that Paul makes here. He says that we actually have a smell to God. How do followers of Christ smell to God? In verse 15, Paul says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. We are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. What does that mean? Well, during this triumphal parade, incense was burnt, as we said, for the enjoyment of the God that they worshipped, which for them was primarily Jupiter. 
And so the idea was that even though the people smelled the smell and some people rejoiced in it, celebrated in it, and other people dreaded it because they were the captives, the primary purpose actually for the incense was to be something that was pleasing to their God. Now, for those who were believers, especially if they had a Jewish background, they would think of something just a little bit different because to the Jews, their sacrifices to God were described as something that was pleasing to God. It was an offering made by fire and aroma pleasing to the Lord, it says in Leviticus. So they would think of the fact that these offerings were made and that was pleasing to God. So what is it about believers that causes us to smell good to God? I ask you, how do you smell? All right? Talking about spiritually. Well, how do you smell to God? How do we know? What makes us smell good to God? Two things. The first one we take great comfort in. And that is if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, His presence within us causes us to smell good to God. Aren't you glad for that? Because someone's got some stinky stuff inside. Even as believers, we're still working on it, right? But the Bible says... I should have put the actual reference and the quote in my notes that Jesus Christ came fully righteous and died and traded his righteousness for our stinky stuff. Now that's a paraphrase. That's not the way Paul said it. Okay? So that we have the righteousness of Christ in God's sight. But that's not the only thing. It's not just the presence of Christ and his righteousness given to us. But secondly, it says that once we've experienced that, once we've surrendered our lives to Christ, the way we live out our life to please him, that becomes a pleasing aroma to God. So in our endeavor to say, Lord, I've surrendered my life to you now. I want to please you. And we need his help. I just said we got some stinky stuff on the inside. We're still working on that. Hopefully we're making some progress. You know, we should be making progress. If we're not... We're not doing something right. We're not perfect yet, but we should be making some progress. And the Bible says as we begin to make that progress, that is a pleasing smell to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He says, you surrender your life to Christ and live for him. That is a pleasing sacrifice to God. And that is one of the best ways you can worship. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do what is right and just is more acceptable to God than sacrifice. You see, the people of the Old Testament could get into a habit that we get into the habit of too, and that is they would kind of go out and live however they wanted to and just bring a sacrifice thinking that was going to make God happy. Because God said you need to offer a sacrifice. It was how they covered over sin until Jesus came. But God spoke through his prophets many times and says, no, 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 no. That sacrifice is supposed to be representative of your life. Yes, you're giving the sacrifice, but your hearts are committed to me too. But sometimes we as Christians can be the same way. We decide we're going to just live however we want, but we'll go to church every once in a while. We'll give in the offering and we'll do this and we'll do that and that'll kind of cover everything over. No, 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 no. What pleases God is not that you do a good thing every once in a while or even twice a day or how often. But it's your hearts are committed to him and you're trying to live for him. A heart and life wholeheartedly devoted to God is the most acceptable and pleasing sacrifice to him. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Okay. If you're married, if you're not, you can imagine whatever. Okay. 
But if you're married, what does your spouse ultimately want from you? Fancy gifts or wholehearted devotion? I was waiting for some people to say both. Because that's the truth. But when it comes down to it, if you can only have one or the other, it's the wholehearted devotion. And the same thing is true for God. But as we come at our lives to Christ, we don't have everything perfect yet. We blow it sometimes. Sometimes we blow it big. But if we're surrendered to Christ and He's our Savior and we're trying to live for Him and we're trying to make some progress, the Bible says Christ's presence in us and our efforts then to live for Him with His help becomes a pleasing aroma and we smell good to God. And I hope today you can rejoice in the fact that, you know what, I smell good to God. I smell good to God. But the second thing Paul talks about is how do followers of Christ smell to other believers? And, and maybe people who aren't believers, at least not yet, but they're open to the gospel. And he says that here. Again, requoting the last part of verse 14, it says that God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We'll get there in a moment. To the one where the smell of death, but to the other where the fragrance of life. So as we talk about how we smell to one another, again, not talking physically. Don't go around sniffing people today and trying to figure that out. But as the presence of Christ is in our life and we interact with one another as believers and even more important, I would say, we interact with other people that are around us in our world that don't know Jesus. When they smell, quote, Jesus in us, is that a pleasant thing? How do we smell? to other believers, other followers of Jesus, and to those open to the gospel. It says that it should be a pleasant smell. It should be a fragrance of life. As we said, the incense that was burned, the smells that were there, they were very enjoyable to the other Roman citizens. It was the smell of victory. It was the smell of celebration. And in the same way as our lives bring glory to God, they also bring encouragement to one another. We've talked about this in so many other settings and sermons and studies that we are here for one another. That's why it's so important that we're part of the body of Christ and we meet together, that we are to encourage one another. We're to strengthen one another. And all of us could give testimony of how that happens as others impact us and hopefully as we impact them. But not only that, our lives should have the smell of Jesus that would be appealing to people that don't know Jesus yet if they're open to the gospel. And that's the whole point here. God sends us out into the world. He wants to use us to be an aroma that smells good to people that are open to the gospel so they will be drawn to Jesus. You know, sometimes we'll say, man, I'm starving. And we understand what we mean. We probably are not literally starving. But even when that is true in us, that we say we're starving, it means we're really, really, really hungry. And I'm not going to ask how many of you are hungry right now, because then you start thinking about lunch. And I shouldn't even said that. But when you are really hungry, when you are, quote, starving, and you smell that food that you love, and you are drawn to it. There are people out in the world that are starving for what Jesus Christ has to offer and they're just waiting to smell that smell. They're just waiting to see what that might be in your life or in my life. And say, you know, we pray often. I pray often. Say, God, may I so live in such a way. Help us to live in such a way that people see Jesus in me. They may not realize it's Jesus. 
But they'll say, man, I see them at work. I see them at school. I see them wherever. They're my neighbor. And they've got something I need. That should be Jesus they see. That should be Jesus they smell, to use the same picture here. I love this quote. I don't know who came up with it originally because I've heard it for almost all my life. And it says that evangelism is just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. We found the bread that gives life to our souls and now we want to offer that bread to the others around us who are open to that. But then there's a third group of people. Well, God, first group of people, second group of people, where the smell is not that way. And that is how the followers of Christ smell to those who reject the gospel. Going back to our text, it says, God uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere, for we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved, but also among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. We already talked about those who are alive, those who are who, who are a fragrance of life, but there are people out there that are not open to what God wants to do in their life and what they see and what they smell in us is not a pleasant smell. They are the captives. They are the ones that are headed to slavery. They're already in slavery, actually, and they're headed to death. And when they see the presence of Jesus in us, they smell that it is not a good smell, but it's only because of their choice. That's where the picture kind of breaks down because they can be set free and not have to go to slavery, not stay in slavery, not go to death. But people choose not to do that. The fragrance of the incense during the parade was not a good smell to the captives. They were headed to slavery or death. It was the exact same smell. But why would we smell bad to people who reject the gospel? I think it's pretty simple. Jesus has done a work in our life. He continues to do a work in our lives. And, and those people, they see that we're different. And, and if they don't want to recognize their need to be different and they don't want to leave behind the things that need to be different, we're just something that just rubs them the wrong way. And that's kind of on the minor side. Sometimes our lives, our fragrance of Christ can make them feel guilty, can make them feel condemned. Because the Holy Spirit is always at work within people's hearts. They know, to a degree anyway, what's right and what's wrong because God is speaking to them. And when they see someone who is following Jesus, they're not perfect yet, but they're really trying to do the right thing. It can turn them off. It can turn them away. It can be something they can't stand. They feel guilty. It's opposite of what they're living for. And they, in a very real way, smell the judgment of death that is to come. Can I tell you that if that's ever happened to you where you've tried to represent Jesus well to the people in your family, to the people at work, to the rest of the guys and girls at school, wherever it is that you are, and they have rejected that, don't give up on them because it is always possible to change. As long as there's still life, as long as there's still breath, God can turn them around. In fact, we could probably take testimonies today of people that were resistant to the gospel for so long. Christians really irritated you. But God finally broke through. How many of you would say, that was me? For a long time, Christians irritated me. I didn't want anything to do with it. But God turned me around. So we keep praying for them. So there's the picture. How does this relate 
first of all, to missions, and then how does it relate to our personal lives? Those are the last two things I want to deal with. How does this relate to missions? Well, let me just ask you, how does God reach people who do not yet know Christ? There's a lot of things he can use, and he does use. He can use um, printed material, you know, Bibles, and there's always been and still continues to be efforts to get Bibles to people who don't have Bibles, to get Bibles in the language of people that they don't have one in their own language. I mean, there are organizations, especially Wycliffe Bible translators, but others who work diligently and have been for years and years and years about getting the Bible in the language of people who do not have one yet so they can understand God's Word. That's significantly important. They can be reached with other kinds of literature. That's why lots of tracts are printed and booklets and books and all that kind of stuff. And they're translated into different languages and they're shipped around the world and they're doing, you know, and God can use those things. But that's not the primary way that God reaches out to people. God can also use technology, media, the internet, TV, radio. You know, at first it was, the big deal was radio because TV was still just getting started. And then it was TV. Now it's the internet. And God does use that. And it has become so helpful in areas where it's hard to get people in. But maybe somehow the people can get around the um, barriers, the government. In some places, the governor puts barriers to people accessing media. They can get around it. Somehow they can... They can get that gospel message. And God uses that powerfully. We should support ministries that do that. But that's not the primary way either. The primary way that God reaches people is through other people who have been changed by Jesus. And they go where those people are. And those people see Jesus in them. They hear Jesus speaking through them. And they smell Jesus. To use this illustration. So that's how this theme, that's how this passes, that's how everything I've set up to this point relates to missions. That there are people all around the world that need to smell Jesus because they're hungry. They're literally spiritually starving. And they need to smell Jesus. This is why missions is so important. There are so many people around the world who have no one to be the presence of Jesus in their lives. If you hear missions talked about very much or you read about it, you hear a phrase often, it's called unreached people groups. What is an unreached people group? It's not talking about a specific nation, a specific area of the world. It's talking about a specific group of people in a location that are bound together by relationship and they usually have a very common culture and they use probably the same language. An unreached people group refers to a group of people. It could be small, it could be large. Any country could have any number of people groups. Whatever size, but it refers to any people group where less than 2% of the people in that people group are Christians. So out of 100 people, less than two. So one and a half, maybe. I don't know how you do that. Maybe Christians. And because the presence of Christ in people's lives is so weak, they really do not have the resources or the ability to reach their people group fully by themselves. They need people from the outside to come in. Now, God can do anything, but this is the way God works. 
Can I tell you that right now, there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. And when you add up the population of all those people groups, it's over 3 billion people. That's not quite half the population. They're not even close to half. That's a lot of people. But that's saying there are 3 billion people spread all around the world who do not have an adequate gospel witness anywhere close to them. If they're lucky, they may have one Christian in their village and they're trying their hardest to reach people. But in many places, there are no Christians. And they need people to come. People that have Jesus inside of them so they can smell Jesus. They can see Jesus. They can hear Jesus more than just a pamphlet, more than just something they see on the internet, but a person in whom Jesus Christ has made a difference. And that is what missions is all about. Those whom God calls, and He calls all of us to be missionaries in our own world. He doesn't call all of us or even a majority of us to leave where we live and go to a different place in our country or in the world or whatever to share the gospel with others. But He does call some And it's up to those of us he doesn't call to leave our homes to support those that he does call. And my prayer is that God will use this message to stir once again even deeper in our hearts and our lives that people need to go. And we need to send them. And we need to support them. That does involve giving. That's why we challenge you, encourage you, and and unashamedly um, challenge you to give sacrificially to missions every month. And I'll just throw this in as you're considering, this is your church home, and you're considering your faith promise. If you've never made a faith promise and given consistently to missions, I want to encourage you and challenge you to start somewhere. Well, I can't do much. Will you do something and make it a little bit more than you think you can because that's where the faith comes in. Even if it's only a dollar, two dollars, and go from there. But I also challenge you, as I do every year, what my wife and I do, we pray about it. And our goal, as God leads us, is that every year we're going to increase what we gave over the last year. Challenge you to do that. Believe with all my heart, God will bless you for it. But it's as we are faithful, then we help to send those missionaries out. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Again, it's Paul writing. He makes it so clear. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Talking about Jesus. How can people without Jesus call on Jesus? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? In other words, how can they believe in Jesus if they never hear about him? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? God calls most of us to be on the sending side. So I challenge you today. I've been praying, God, stir our hearts this week once again for missions. For missions. Sometimes I get somebody that talks to me and says, oh man, we, we support these 60-something different missionaries and missions projects, and, and, and most of them we support at $50 a month. That's where I get the $3,000 plus every month. It's more than that, actually, because of other things that we do. Totally apart from a guest coming, we take an offering, but just monthly in support. Why do we spend so much money sending missionaries to other places when we got lots of people around us that need to be reached for Jesus? 
Which is more important? Reaching people at home or in other places, in other nations? It's the wrong question. Because it's not either or. Both are important. But can I tell you in my own heart, I lean even more towards sending people out to places where they've never heard the gospel and never have the opportunity to do so. If you could imagine, it's kind of a weird picture, but God lays it on your heart to take some food down to the local park because it's lunchtime and you just want to feed the kids that are playing there. I know it's kind of a weird illustration because you got to get parents' permission, but I just, just work with me here. So you load your car up with all kinds of really good food, stuff that kids like, pizza and hot dogs and hamburgers and french fries and all that kind of, Cokes and sodas and all that. And you go down to the park and you've got a bunch of kids over here playing on the swing set and, and their families are there and there's a picnic table. There's lots and lots of food that's there and they're kind of ignoring it because they're having so much fun playing on the swing set. And then you got a group of kids that are over here. And they're undernourished and they're underweight and they have no food. You can tell they haven't eaten for a while. Who really needs that food? Who do we need to give it to? So which group of kids need to eat lunch? All of them do. But the one set of kids has got all kinds of food available to them. They just don't want to stop playing right now to eat it. Whereas the others are starving. That's kind of how it is with the gospel. We live in a part of the world where the gospel is so prevalent. Anybody that wants to have any kind of interaction with the, with the gospel, they almost have to totally blind their eyes, stuff their ears to not be able to hear the gospel. Now, I know that that's not as true as it used to be. You can still come across people in the United States that you talk about Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? And again, it's not an either or. We've got to reach the people here. Okay? Please don't misread me. We've got to actively reach the people right around us. And we support missionaries and missions projects across the United States that going to people that have a hard time getting that. We need to do that. We need to personally be involved in reaching our families and our friends and our co-workers and, and everybody else. But there is a world out there that unless someone is sent and supported, they will not hear about Jesus. They have no hope. So again, I challenge you, have a heart for missions. Manifest that in your prayers. Manifest that in being a missionary in your world and manifest that in your giving to missions. The last thing I want to mention, and we're going to wrap this up. How does this apply to us personally? And it goes back to the original question. How do you smell? How is your smell affecting the people around you? How do you smell to God? If you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, He's your Savior, because of His presence, you smell pretty good. But God expects us and wants us to keep working on that too. Are you walking in obedience? Are you, are you saying, God, you know, you've bathed me. Thank Jesus you've bathed me. You've washed my sins away. But I kind of need my hands washed. Kind of need my feet washed. I got some stuff going on. My feet kind of stink. How do you smell to God? How do you smell to other believers? Is your life such because of your surrender to Christ that you're such an encouragement and a strength to the people that are around you? And how do you smell to people that are open to the gospel? 
Now you may be here and I want to deal with one last thought and that is you may be sitting here saying, you know what, I really want to be that. I, I want to smell good. I want people to see Jesus in me. But I've got some messes in my life. I don't know that God can use me. And I'm trying so hard. It's very, very difficult. Perhaps you feel like you've got a long way to go and you don't smell all that good. But can I tell you that Paul wrestled with this too? The last verse that we read, after he talks about how we are supposed to be an aroma to people that are being saved and some that aren't and that kind of stuff. At the very end of verse 16, he says, who is equal to such a task? And what he's saying is, you know what? We can't do it by ourselves. Even the Apostle Paul is saying, I struggle with really smelling good all the time. If I could just paraphrase what he's saying here. But the key is the fact that it doesn't rest in us. It rests in Jesus in us. Jesus in us. It's a big responsibility to think that our lives are helping point people towards Jesus or away from him. They're helping lead people to heaven or to hell. How can we do that? The key is right there in verse 14, where Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Two key phrases says, in Christ. It's only as we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And it says through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge. It's his working in us. But can I tell you what? I think a lot of people are willing to see someone who claims to be a follower of Christ and they may blow it every once in a while, but how they handle it says a lot. When they lose their temper at work and they say, oh man, you know what? I blew it. That's not who I want to be. I ask you to forgive me because it was wrong. That was a mistake. That was a problem. But God can use that. It's what you do with it. So how do we wrap this all up? How do we apply this? Well, first of all, again, I challenge you to continue if you already are or to get involved in missions if you already aren't. You're praying, you're giving, and being a missionary in your world. I want to challenge you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior to not just rest in the righteousness He's given you. We can do that. But to make sure that you're living it out too because God would be able to use you even more effectively in each other's lives but also in our world. Make sure you smell good. And when something stinky comes out, deal with it. But I would also say that if by some chance you are here today or you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ and you need Him as your Savior, that today would be the day that you'd surrender your life to Him. You've been smelling Jesus and the Christians around you. Maybe it smells pretty good and you realize, man, I need what they have. And that's a really easy thing to deal with. But maybe it's been irritating you. Maybe it just drives you away. It makes you feel guilty. It makes you feel condemned. Maybe even you've let the enemy lie to you and say, well, they think they're better than you are and that kind of stuff. And that's really not the point. That's not the purpose. If a Christian does that, they're doing it wrong. It's just Jesus has made a difference in our lives. But today, God's speaking to your heart and he wants you to surrender your life to him and come to Jesus as your savior to be released from captivity, to stop heading toward death. 
Because the Bible says that we are all sinners separated from God. And the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. But it says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He came to earth, God as a man, lived a perfect life that we can't live. So when he died on the cross, his death that he did not deserve paid the price for our sins. So if we put our trust in him and turn to him, our sins can be forgiven. And he, he comes in and gives us a new life and we begin to live for him. And I challenge you to make that decision and to take that step today. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our elder board to come, our elders, uh, Pastor Jan, any of our prayer team. If you want to be involved, you're welcome to come too. And we're going to end as we always do, pretty much always, with a time of prayer. I know by the time we get here, it's like, oh, I'm ready to go. We've got lunch. But you know what? God has spoken. And I believe that God wants to touch some people today. And if that's you, we want God to touch you. But if it's not you, I challenge you to put aside thoughts of lunch and all that kind of stuff for five minutes, ten minutes to pray for those that need a touch from God. We often call this area the altar. People that grew up in church, you kind of understand that. People that don't, it's like, what's an altar? Basically in scripture, an altar is a place where people connect with God. So our worship team is going to lead a song. You can sing along. I encourage you to pray about how God's message impacts your life today but if you want prayer today for anything for yourself or for somebody else if you need to surrender your life to Christ come we would love to pray with you and after we've had that time of prayer one of us will come back and close the service and uh, close the service in prayer hallelujah hallelujah what a challenging word today may we all go out of here carrying within us the aroma of Jesus Christ. If you did not and have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I challenge you do it today. Today is your day. Make that choice. You can carry the aroma of Christ and reach other people for Jesus Christ. May we do that around our neighbors when we're shopping at Walmart, wherever we go. May we be and carry that aroma of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Father, I praise you. I bless you. I honor you, God. I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father God, for what you are doing in this body of believers. I thank you, God, that we are a work in progress. And God, that you are changing us day by day to bring more glory and honor to you. Father, I bless your people in the name of Jesus as they go out into the mission field of their neighborhoods and their workplaces and their schools. Use us to be a shining light. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. 
Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.